Well, hello there. My name is Jared Causey, and you are listening to Causey's Conversations. Thank you for tuning in again this week. Um, I know last week I didn't do a podcast. I had a, a few tests uh, to take, and then um, uh, as the weekend was approaching, I had to get ready for a trip uh, that uh, went on. Uh, went actually went uh, back to um, the Houston area where Amy's fr- uh, family is from. So had to do that and. And so, uh, but this week, um, it's um, have a special guest on for this episode, uh, Samuel Turner. Uh, he is um, a friend and brother in Christ. Um, known him for for a few years now. Um, haven't really connected strongly until probably the past year or so. And and it was actually when uh, I've been living up here in Fort Worth. So it's kind of funny how that works. Um, so if everyone says Facebook's a bad thing most of the time, but I think it's a good thing because it, it does or it, it can be a good thing. Uh, obviously, Facebook can be terrible at times for sure, but it can be a very good thing when used uh, properly. It's like fire. Fire is a great thing, but um, it can also be bad. And you know a lot about fire because uh, you use fire to cook a lot of barbecue. Uh, so you you are like the co-owner or the what are you uh, so my my friend and boss Paul owns <clears throat> Paul's Rib Shack and I I run it so I uh, I cook all the food I manage employees we um, um, me and Paul are really into barbecue and you know he's uh, he's super involved and you know he's a great owner and boss but um, with like the day to day stuff it's it's um I take care of that because he's got other businesses that he takes care of. So right, <clears throat> right. ministry stuff. So so y'all just are y'all are y'all a brick and mortar uh, store now or, or I know y'all Not were, what's that? Not yet. Not yet. We're, we're under construction. So under construction. Okay. We're hoping in, uh, we're really pushing for May. We're hoping May will be it. But uh, right now we're still in the truck right outside of our house that's under construction. So we're. Um, we were actually hoping for, uh, this past November to be open and then, uh, governmental things got in the way. And, ah, uh, the government. It took four months to get permits. That's a very long time. So yeah. we weren't yeah. happy about that. Well, next time in, I'm in the Lake Charles area and you are open, I'm going to have to swing by and get some good barbecue for sure. Um, yeah. had to do that. I'm sure you don't have any good barbecue in Dallas. No, none. I mean, geez, <laughs> uh, there's no barbecue in Fort Worth. <laughs> <laughs> in general, right? Yeah, for real. I mean, I no on, on a serious note. Uh, the so my favorite barbecue place. I'm, I feel kind of ch- not cheap, but like you know, like the you know, a lot of times you want to find a good barbecue place that's like a hole in the wall, like no one knows about it. You know, you just you yeah. want to find that like it's a good coffee shop. You want to find a good coffee shop. No one knows about it. It's not Starbucks. But for this barbecue place, it's like the Starbucks around here. Um, yeah, what's it called? Uh, it's called Risky's. Um, it's a pretty okay. famous place too. Um, there's one, there's one or two locations actually at the Stockyards, and there's yeah. one location that I know of in um, like the downtown area. So me and Amy go to the downtown area one because it's the cheapest, <laughs> and it's also, I think, is the. I mean, it's it's definitely. Um, competes with the other two. I mean, plus it's way less expensive. So, 
Yeah, well, uh, my boss always tells me um, we can't let our barbecues because we're barbecue snobs. I mean, we we go we'll we'll travel over hundreds of miles for good barbecue just to see it what theirs is like. You know what I mean? Yeah. We worry about someone. So we uh, we've been going down this uh, the Texas Monthly Top Fifty uh, Top Fifty Barbecue Joints. Right. Um, we've been going down there and. Uh, and I just have, um, I, I love finding personal joints that no one really knows about as well. Yeah. But that doesn't that doesn't work in barbecue. And that I'll tell you why. It's because barbecue costs a lot now yeah. to make. And so people who are doing it right, the only really way that they can kind of stay open is if they have enough people going there. So yeah. that's why. Um, that's why I usually look to where everybody's flocking to, especially in Texas, because they know barbecue, right? They do. And uh, and so I think that um, – but I'm going to send you a list. I'm going to send you a list of some places. There's yeah, a place you... called Lockhart in Dallas. There's a place called um, – uh, my friend is opening up one in Fort Worth that you should check out. It's called Patriotic Pig. and um, America. And he, He's really good. Yeah, America. He's a veteran, so he, oh, awesome. he's yeah. riding that uh, veteran train right there. I love the troops. I love the troops. Yeah, and he um, and then there's another one called it's in uh, it's in kind of a downtown area. Um, it's called Pecan Lodge, and yeah. um, it's in Deep Ellum. Yeah, and uh, and so that one's those guys are fantastic, and I'm a nerd, so I, I love going to all those places. And standing in all those long lines and paying exorbitant amount of money to to get barbecue, so yeah, definitely that that's good. I mean, honestly, like I'm I'm surprised I haven't seen you up here because <laughs> we we go we try to go to a lot of barbecue places too. Like the thing is, is like Amy loves Mexican food. I hate Mexican yeah. food, like Tex like Tex Mex. Oh yeah, I hate. I know it's kind of weird. And, um, a lot of people are like, how do you do that in, in, uh, how do you do that in Texas? And I'm like, well, there's really good barbecue and good sweet That's tea. So, well, see, we usually go, we're so close to Houston and Houston has gotten so many great barbecue places in the last couple of years, last five years. Um, they've gotten so many good ones. You wouldn't like them. A lot of them have started to adopt Tex-Mex type cuisine yeah. with it and uh and so they like to make brisket tacos and stuff and uh, you can get regular barbecue but they also have that there like there's one called the pit room in houston and they have um they have these tacos that are phenomenal and um they also serve wagyu brisket which is you don't see that yeah a lot yeah we're definitely not selling wagyu that stuff is so expensive but uh <laughs> Oh, especially them. They're selling A five Wagyu, which is so, so up there. But yeah, I think that's um. Well, I mean, I'll I'll have to go make a trip to Dallas soon to get barbecue because uh, I still got to see if those other places are still good. Yeah, dude. Yeah, let me know. Maybe they slipped up or something. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, another good place we go to is uh, Cousins, and that's definitely like a Starbucks. That's definitely like a Starbucks of this this area for sure yeah. um it, it's good though it's it's really good solid uh yeah. food there so well well hey i'm not i don't want to uh again 
my boss always says, you can't let your your snobbery of something ruin somebody else's fun, right? <laughs> yeah. And so I and I definitely so I you know I celebrate all barbecue joints everywhere and uh, and there's I mean I'm finding out now just opening you know we're opening up our own place I'm like how can these people love like these there's a barbecue that cooks on a gas pit I'm like how can people love that and it's you know it's not unheard of people love what they love and and I uh, I think what's good for um, good for all barbecue joint one barbecue joint is good for all barbecue yeah. joints yeah you don't discriminate that's great. That's awesome. Sound like a true libertarian. (laughs) (laughs) I uh, I try my best not to discriminate uh, against barbecue. But but anyway, that'll be fun. Yeah. So um, even though barbecue is fun, I don't know if this is true for you, but I enjoy, you know, I enjoy food a lot, but you know, I, I love talking about more than just food. The, the one thing that I love talking about more than food is probably sports. Eh, I don't know. Maybe sports is above it. And then theology, of course. Um, as those of you who have listened to this podcast, you know that that's pretty much all I talk about. I mean, politics, I don't really get into as much as a lot of people. Um, I mean, re- here recently I've been getting into a political kick a little, you know, with the upcoming election in 2020. But and you know, I I've definitely changed positions politically a lot lately, um, uh, but I'm not like I don't fly the 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 uh, flag of being a partic- in a particular party or a you know whatever. So, but maybe I will one day. I don't know. But uh, just right now, I'm like I'm just kind of like I, I I really have gotten more. I guess frustrated with like the the theological left, you know, is yeah. more the best way to put it. Because like the guys like um, when I think of the political left, I'm thinking of people kind of like Peter Inns, um, Rachel Held Evans, uh, Jen Hatmaker, um, who else? Rob Brandon Bell. Hatmaker. What's that? Brandon Hatmaker. Brandon. Rob Bell. Yeah. Younger. Yeah, Gunger. Woo, yeah. Mike, Mike. Yeah. God bless him. Yeah. I mean, like, seriously, like, I, I remember when all that blew up. Um, a few, I guess it was a, several years ago when Gunger kind of went off the deep end there. Um, and just, I remember, I'm not going to say the church, but, like, one church in particular in the southwest Louisiana area, just, they continued to support them and continued to, like, I mean, even agree with them, and I'm like, man, like, what is going on here? Like, these arguments aren't even very good. Like, Rob Bell is not a scholar. He's he's a very very charismatic, you know, not you know, not a, a theologically charismatic, but like his aura. He's very a very good speaker, and but I mean, really, he, his. I mean, if you read his books, I mean, read not only Love Wins, but read the his book, the most recent book on the Bible. It's it's not good. It's not good at all. Um, and uh, it's it's very weak. I mean, if you're gonna get on the liberal, uh, the theologically liberal train, go for Peter Enns. Go for Peter Enns. He's a lot more consistent 
and he's a lot more he thinks through things more even though I disagree with him on a lot you know yeah. so but he loves Rob Bell so there you go uh, but <laughs> anyway even Rob Bell's first book Velvet Elvis like um you can see when you go through his literature that he put out that there's there is a specific concerted effort that led us to here. Yeah. And people are surprised. Velvet Elvis and I read and at the time liked Velvet Elvis where uh, at that point I was not super into theology or doctrine or anything of that matter but, um, but I, I remember one specific chapter where he basically breaks down the wall of, you know, people, you know, he, he made it kind of a duality. Like you're, you're either, you know, this cool person who doesn't really care about theology that much, or you're uh, one of these people who are trying to defend this theology, which is not as important uh, with everything you have. And um, so a lot of people are like, you know, you're right. All these theo- theological debates and, all these things we've seen, like those aren't important. So they've right. given up on that, which opened the floodgates for, okay, so now that I've got them to reject this good theology that I don't like, I'm going to insert my own thoughts and opinions yeah. into their yeah. uh, lives. And, and I mean, it's just a takedown. I mean, so now we've got, he, he starts with every, almost every institution. Um, he attacks their, their view of uh, Christian's view of theology and then I remember I read one that no one else read called, uh, um, it was uh, about the church in exile and he goes through Exodus and how America is basically like the Roman empire and America's evil and all this, all these different things. And, um, which America, you know, America's, uh, sinful nation just, you know, cause yeah. we're filled with people and, um, and, but you know, the way that he was bringing back is that we were, you know, the Antichrist is going to come from us because we, you know, we're like the Roman Empire, which they were explaining the Roman Empire in uh, Revelation or whatever. Right. And so just this tearing down these these um, weird things or having these weird fringe, this uh, fringe knowledge that nobody else knew apparently. And so he's kind of bringing, you know, this isn't old news Christians have believed this for forever. We've just somehow abandoned it. Now I'm bringing it back to light. You know what I mean? Uh, it sounds very Gnostic. That sounds very, very Gnostic. Well, that's what that's what cult leaders kind of use. I'm not saying he's a cult leader, but okay. that's what cult leaders use. That we have this private knowledge that you don't have or you don't have access to, and you should trust us because we went to. I went to seminary. I went to. You know, he went to the same seminary as John Piper, right? What? Yeah, they both went to Fuller. Oh, I didn't know Piper yeah. went to Fuller. Yeah, but it was a different Fuller back oh, then. I mean, yeah. Well, it was before the yeah. 1970s when they had that big uh, biblical inerrancy debate. And, yeah. uh, and they didn't go with it. So now their seminary's fallen into theological liberalism. And, yeah. um, and so that's where I said, but he kind of used that as credential. Like, I went to Fuller. I know what I'm talking about. I know Hebrew. I knew Greek. So therefore, I come up with these cool Numa videos. So I'm I'm an authority, and um, and it's it's the same thing they use here at that church you're talking about because everybody knows that church you're talking about, Jared. And, <laughs> and so, I'm not one, it's so obvious. And I, uh, I did not want to get in trouble here. I'm not going to say it, even though I want to. 
it's the same it's the same thing it's the same tactic like you know i'm the expert it's the same thing that um jen hatmaker used oh yeah uh, it's, it's it's i mean you can read it and like i followed brandon hatmaker because he wrote a book called barefoot church that i uh, like some of the ideas that he had in there about missional living and um wait so where are they where are they living austin texas is that the church? Okay, so I, I'm trying to think if I actually heard Jen Hatmaker like before she got famous at Glorietta years ago, and I remember. So I if if the, I think this is I think it was her um, because uh, something to do with the shoes. Like they would like take their shoes off or something. They uh, don't. They went to a church service and um, like this East. I think it was Easter Sunday night or something, and um, they, or Christmas is one of the major, one of our major holidays. And um, they were talking about there are homeless people freezing, and you know if you, uh, and they were bringing shoes so they could give to homeless people, and they had forgotten to do that, so they they went to the front and they gave up their own shoes, and um, which were the nice holiday shoes that they bought specifically for these services and stuff, you know, and, uh, and they gave them away and that kind of, you know, um, gave me the idea that our lives, and I agree with this, our lives should not be, um, like when we, uh, when we give to the needy or whatever, it shouldn't just be a program or a once a quarter thing that churches do, but it should be our lives, you yeah. know, well, and we yeah. should give up the best of ourselves to, to maybe, uh, to this missional work, to the mission that God's given us. And I agree with that. Well, uh, since then she's kind of went off the deep end herself, Jen Hatmaker with, yeah. um, I mean, she obviously, uh, she's come out in the support of gay marriage. If that is the same person, which it's, I, I, I remember her, ta- them talking about it, that their church does this. And because if, if so, if it is this, this person at that uh, at Glorietta at the college, the collegiate week or whatever they had there, she said something. She brought up homosexuality, and she said, "I remember." She said, "Yeah, um, we the church needs to stop worrying about homosexuality. We need to stop talking about it. We don't need to care about it anymore because Jesus already took care of that." And everyone clapped, and I'm just like, "What?" Like, okay, so yes, I get it that Christ paid for the sin of homosexuality in the sins, in, in the lives of the believers. So the belie- believers that have committed homosexual sin, that, that sin is paid for. Amen. I agree with that. Jesus took care of that. We don't have to talk about that anymore in their lives. However, in the culture at large, we're seeing a push, a almost um, a force um, the, the government and the culture at, at large is, is attempting to force religious uh, folks to adhere to the cultural, you know, sexual norms. So that being homosexuality is fine, it's good, it should be celebrated, accepted, all of that, uh, transgender, all of that. Like that's the that's the reason why we talk about this so much is because the culture is presenting this argument to us that hey, you need to accept this, so we have to respond. Or yeah. Unless, unless you believe that we don't need to worry about the culture, but we both know that most people saying these things do care about the culture. It's just they think that we should just leave that alone. And I'm, I thought, no, we don't. I'm not going to leave that alone because Jesus 
himself talked about this. He cared about this. And when people say Jesus didn't talk about homosexuality, that's a bold-faced lie. He talks about it – when he talks about sexual sin, he's talking about homosexuality because when he's talking about sexual sin, the, the when the Jews hear sexual sin, they're going back to the old law, the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, sexual sin is homosexuality. So it, it just it, – it's really – to me, it, it's um, – I guess I listened to the briefing too much with Albert Muller because uh, <laughs> every almost every day he's like this college is being forced to you know accept homosexuality in their you know this Christian school or this Christian club you know whatever you know it's like um, so like I, I I guess like I get a little a little frustrated about that I'm like man like we we have to talk about this you know it's like abortion well, you know what, I mean you know what. Uh... Is it Bodhi says it like, uh, you know, when God was bringing judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, mm-hmm. uh, Jesus. And so the whole, um, so I always think about that, like, just because. Wait, uh, Jesus, Sam, you, you cut out right there. Say that. What did Bodhi say again? You, you cut out. Bodhi said, uh, when, when God was raining down judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm-hmm. He was not absent, nor was he in disapproval of what he's a part of the, the Godhead. You right. know what I mean? Like that's he was there for all of that, yeah, and right. um, and I think that uh, like even if Jesus didn't specifically these all these red letter Christians who you know Shane Claiborne wrote the book Red Letter Revival, where we you know the only thing that's important is what Jesus said was written in red. You know what I mean? Right. And, um, and I think that's, that's ridiculous. I think there's, um, one thing Jesus affirmed, uh, biblical, the biblical definition of marriage right. when he, um, when he addressed that, uh, uh, um, will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. Right. And, and there was, um, he condemned sexual sin. Uh, I think there's, um, the, the reason why he didn't specifically condemn homosexuality and we seem to like him to the only reason why we seem, you know, we really wish that he would have done that to, to, for clarity is because it's being pushed to the forefront of our culture. If there's exactly. another specific sexual sin or, or something like, uh, you know, transgenderism, you know, there's, yeah. uh, there's, uh, Jesus didn't didn't highlight those things. Those weren't the pressing issues of the day. They had no misunderstandings in first century uh, Israel of, you know, that homosexuality was wrong. Yeah. And, uh, but then you have, but then you have the problem with Jen and Brandon is that they, they've redefined terms. So, so then this is what I'm talking about with their, um, their whole deception is that, you know, I'm an authority. So I've prayed more than this about you. I've done my research more than you. I've looked into the ancient language, the original languages more than you. So I know more than you. Don't question me on this. Right. I mean, he went on a a large social media rant about this that said that. So basically we just have to do what he says and agree with what he says because he's smarter and he's done more prayer and research um, but his research is flawed, saying that what they what they mean by homosexuality is if one man forces himself onto another man. Or yeah, that's um, yeah. Not the yeah. 
as historically that is not what has been meant or understood mm-hmm. by anybody throughout history of the church. That's insane. Yeah, that's not what it means at all. Um, when people say that, that um, it's talking about that, they say that on the basis, too, of the culture at the time. It was, all the same-sex relationships were all filled. They were basically a, a you know, like two, like a prostitute um, forcing himself on a boy or something like that. Yeah. But when you read history, in fact, um, you'll see that that there were plenty of uh, same-sex relationships back in that day that were both um, they were very much uh, consensual. You know. So like yeah. it's it's that's a that's actually a lie, or that's just incorrect. I don't, I don't want to say lie, but it's incorrect to say that all those all those, you know, Paul would Paul wouldn't have known what a like two loving men coming together in a same sex relationship would look like because he never saw yeah. that. That's not true. That that existed very much so back in that day. Um, yeah. I mean, I've read I've read things that I mean specifically pointed out. It, it talked about those things. Um, I mean, I was actually reading uh, through my uh, um, lexicon. Um, my, it's called BDAG. Um, it's a lexicon. I'm taking Greek four right now, and uh, so they want to say that you got to know the original languages. I'm taking Greek four right now. I'm not saying I know them that well. Like, I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm the best at Greek or whatever. But my professor is <laughs> a very good Greek per, Greek teacher. Like, I mean, he studied under D. A. Carson. Uh, he's a very yeah. smart guy. And I mean, he would tell you that, that that word that they're referring to, I think it's in First Corinthians or Romans, one of the two, is is yeah. talking about you know, it's not talking about uh, two uh, two guys having a uh, a sexual relationship, consensual loving relationship. Like it's um, in B Daggett, the lexicon, it, it talks about that actually. It says this, it's not talking about. It is definitely not talking about um, pro- just prostitution. It's talking about any type of relationship. That involves two people of the same sex. So, you know, that's. Um, I mean, it's it to me. It's just you know, it, it's even. I don't understand why they even you know say, well, I've you know, I've studied more than you. I, I prayed more than you. I mean, it's almost Pharisaical. You know, it's yeah. almost like you know. It sounds. It's like we're more loving. We're more gracious than you because we love these people and you don't because we accept these people for who that who they are and you do not. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, no, you hate them because you are accepting their sin, which is uh, damning to their soul. You yep. know, to me, that's 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 the most unloving thing you could do is accept someone's sin. And I'm not saying you force them to do what you want. That's that's not right. Yep. Or beat them over the head. But warning people of their sin and, and talking to them lovingly, there's nothing wrong with that. And it's just so much virtue signaling going on, man, with that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> I'm well, gonna... I really, I mean, I really can't stress enough just how how powerful uh, the need to be liked is. Um, you know, I think people who aren't in positions of prominence, I think they don't. They think, oh, I don't, you know, I don't care what people think. I don't need to do this. But when you, you know. When you start a church, you have an organization, or you have some of that, you can risk losing it just because people don't like what you say. Right. The pull, or you can lose book sales. So people who write books, they thrive off of social media followers and social media attention. And so publishers, uh, that's how they make 
their money, you know? And so, um, so they have to, um, so I think that the, the real draw to being liked and being accepted by the culture and, and, you know, making sure that, you know, that, that being more important than the truth is, um, is a real strong pull. I mean, just from, you know, when I, um, when I, you know, helped plan a church, like fighting against that is difficult, you know, where you're going to, you know, you're just going to have to realize that there's going to be a lot of people that, you know, um, that, you know, if, uh, there's, I would say there's some churches that they kind of make their bread and butter as, um, going after people who are already Christians by making their services better or their, what they offer churches better. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, there's at least some that I know that do that. And, uh, they have a real attractional ministry and they, they end up getting church members. But when you, when you plan a church and your specific goal is to go after people who, uh, who are against the gospel and they don't, you know, they're, they're living some of the hardest lives and, uh, some of the most, averse lives to the gospel and uh, and just trying to I mean one of our first uh, ministry things that we did was we stood outside of crystals which is a gay bar locally yeah uh, at night and we had conversations with people with gay people coming out of the bar and talk to them about you know trying to start up conversations about Jesus and uh and there's there were some interesting things that happened, you know, yeah. and uh, and so the but the 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 real pull to just watering down the gospel or just you know well I don't have to say that it's not about even if you say something wrong but it's about I'm going to leave this out you know because it doesn't yeah. you know we don't need to say that <laughs> you know that doesn't sound but but no you've got to give you got to tell people the full gospel and you've got to. Um, you can't back down just because you're afraid of maybe you know, losing some followers or losing friends. You know, that's there's going to be. Um, I think I think we just got to know that going in there that yeah that we're you know Jesus said if the world hates you they first hated me. You know they hated me first. You yeah. know yeah. I think that's. Um, I just didn't realize that that was going to be as. Um, I guess uh, as real as it was, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. You just you think, oh yeah, well that doesn't bother me, and then you know you actually get to it, and it oh yeah, that stings. You yeah, know? it's it's yeah. You want people to like you. You want people to to respect what you have to say and when when you say something that is so offensive as the gospel i mean what jesus said we talk about jesus a lot of people do anyway talk about jesus as if he's this just loving dude that you know said all these really nice things and he was such a loving gracious guy which he was but he said some hard things too he said uh you know if you want to follow after me you have to first uh take up your cross deny yourself you know um i mean it's he says those things. He talks about heaven and hell. Um, I mean, he talked about uh, God's uh, uh, righteous judgment. I mean, all of these things. I mean, so it's not just like, oh, he was just this loving dude that all he talked about was love, love, love. 
No, he talked about other things as well that were are very important when we discuss the gospel. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think we have to remember that. And when we ever, whenever we say we preach the gospel, we are going to we are going to offend uh, people. We are going to push people away. Um, I mean, just watch an American gospel. I mean, man, like how many people have actually heard, like heard the gospel that was presented in an American gospel. I'm not saying everyone has to hear it in that same manner. Like there's different ways to share the gospel, but every time you share the gospel, it should contain certain truths. Um, that should never change. And in American gospel, man, like some of the things that are said in there, I doubt a lot of people have ever heard the gospel explained that way. Yeah. And so it just, you know, um, it, it's it's so saddening to see that in a lot, so many churches, people uh, have either believed a false gospel or believed a, you know, watered down gospel at best. Yeah. And I, I, you know, so um, I know we've, we've already talked a lot about theology, uh, but um, it's nine o'clock. It's nine o'clock. Yes. Sorry. Ten o'clock or nine? I said nine o'clock. That's my computer. It said 10 o'clock. Oh, it said 10. Yeah, I was like, it's 10 o'clock right now. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Uh, so uh, I know you do a lot of uh, worship. Uh, you lead worship a lot at South yeah. Street Baptist Church. You've been doing that for a while. But before we get to that, actually, I, if you don't mind, you um, you know, kind of, I was curious. How did you come to know Christ? Like, what, What's kind of your story? What's your background in that? Um, and what? how did God lead you to uh, South Street? Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so I had a, um, just a regular, seems like a, uh, if you grew up in the South, everybody's got this story where I've been going to church and I had great parents who are, who are faithful and love Jesus. And they took me to church, um, every Sunday, Wednesday, all that stuff. And, um, and I, I remember when I was, I was little, uh, I was in a Sunday school class and I can still picture it right now. And, um, where this girl came up to me and I didn't like her that much. She told me that Jesus died on a tree. And I said, that's absolutely ridiculous. Like, <laughs> I think I probably pushed her and, uh, <laughs> that's crazy. You're talking, and, uh, so I think that was the first presentation of the gospel that I, uh, <laughs> that I heard. And, uh, that I remember. And, um, and so, uh, but anyway, so that, uh, uh, a couple years after that, I got saved at a, or I, um, had raised my hand at a VBS. And so that apparently meant that I was a Christian now, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. uh, got baptized, realized, uh, years later, I think I was eight year eight years old when that happened. Um, when I got to sixth grade, I kind of just had this suspicion, like, man, I didn't, I didn't know what I was getting into. Uh, you know, it was cool to get baptized, but I just don't think, um, I just didn't know what was happening, and I just had this doubt that I hadn't truly repented, didn't know who Jesus was, didn't know what the gospel was, and I, you know, really do that. I got, then I got saved, and you know, I um, professed Christ in sixth grade, and. Um, and really, uh, that's when I, um, you know, actually became a Christian, like started seeing fruit and, um, different things in my life. But 
and that's when I really started to want to lead worship. I was a, I played music and band and stuff throughout school, and I wanted to, you know, really drawn to lead worship, and I loved worship and and um, preaching, and uh, then I went to school for music education and stopped going to church for two to three years. Mm. It was um, I was kind of disillusioned and. Um, a lot of my youth pastors had gotten fired because of sexual misconduct and I just wasn't sure about what was happening. I still love Jesus and told people about Jesus, talked about him all the time. And, um, but just, you know, I didn't have a strong desire to go to church and I worked at, a, I even worked at a, you know, Baptist camp in, in Dry Creek and, um, Every, like everybody else. <laughs> everybody, yeah, everybody works at Dragon. Right? Uh, but, um, and that really, I mean, that summer really, uh, I noticed a difference. I think some people call it the college moment or whatever, but there's a point where your faith becomes yours. And it, um, and I had, it was, I was so lucky. I had um, the council, the group of guy counselors I was with, like, it was probably some of the most biblically, based, love the word of God, love Jesus, and I mean, we just dove into scripture together for that entire summer, and uh, really just kind of uh, ignited a love for Christ. I think I had a love for Christ before that, but this really, like, really set in. And um, so anyway, so when I got back, I met up with who is now my boss, Paul. He was a college minister at Trinity here in Lake Charles, and um and my brother's like, you got to check out this college group. We got to go to it. And so I went to it. Uh, had a had a blast. Uh, it was so weird because uh, the college group they were leading people to Christ who, you know, I've never seen. Like I was like, this is what the church should be. We've got ex drug dealers, ex homosexuals, uh, people who are you know, um, ex bikers, and and then you also have like the FCA. Christians, preppy people, you know, athletes, and we'd all hang out, learn about Jesus, and then go eat after, and we'd get, like, the weirdest looks. I'm like, man, this is so great. I really like what's happening. And um, so we did that, and then me and Paul and uh, a bunch of people in this college group, we started a church together uh, called the City Church, and um, uh, that was a great time. I led worship there. It was a great time where we really got to learn a lot about um, what goes into leading a church, how how these, um, you know, how that works, and then also discipling people in a way that's, you know, leads them to Jesus and leads them to uh, repentance and obedience and, and being able to do that. And I was, you know, 21, 22 when we're doing this, so that's... I had no idea about what I was doing. I had a lot of opinions about church, but not a whole lot of uh, experience leading or um, or building a church. And um, I think we did a lot of great things. I think we did a lot of things wrong. And, um, and so what really ultimately ended that is that we realized that what we ultimately wanted to do is we wanted to disciple people and lead them to Christ. And what we were actually doing is spending a lot of time on planning a service and trying to 
to um, build an organization. And so we decided that we needed to move on. And so we, we knew some, I knew a bunch of people from sales street and I, um, I was friends with them and, uh, we seemed to really uh, be on the same page a lot about a lot of stuff about missional life, about, uh, the ministry that, um, the ministry to our neighbors and to the, the needy in our community. We were, we were very much jiving on the same page. And, um, so I was like, man, I think this would be a great opportunity. This is a place where we can be used. Um, these people are faithful to the word and to the gospel and they, um, they love Jesus. And so I just, um, I plugged in there and my, my boss is there as well. And, um, and so we get to do what we love now and, um, uh, with other people who also love doing that. And, you know, we don't have to put on a whole church service every week. We yeah. get to, uh, just participate. Um, and we have more support and it's, I mean, it's been amazing. I mean, we, sales street, uh, just, uh, the missional living that's been going on, people using their whole lives to, to glorify God and serving others. And, um, we have a wall that we're continually filling up with missionary. I mean, I don't, this isn't a sales pitch for, <laughs> for sales street, but, uh, this is, I, it was just amazing. Like I've, I've been through, just so many unhealthy churches when I was younger and just so many unhealthy ministers. And then, um, it's just amazing to be in one that is healthy and thriving and loves Jesus. And is is makes the main thing, the main thing. And they don't worry about side squabbles too right. much. There's some things that are, it's not perfect, but yeah, there's, yeah. But it's just so great to, to have that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, it's cool how God led you to Sell Street, and just, you know how he, you know, seemingly, um, you know, even though that the you know you helped plant a church, and you know, obviously God used y'all, um, and even though y'all aren't there anymore, y'all not doing that, you know, it was for a season and uh, to help teach y'all about different things and to help uh, help encourage y'all to learn different things. I'm sure, I'm sure, uh, Paul would say the same thing. I mean, you know, um, I'm sure he, he, he would say he learned a lot from that. Uh, but so you're, you're leading worship now a lot. Um, so you have a lot of, um, probably a lot of opinions. I mean, you, you're a pretty opinionated person, kind of like me. Uh, I am not short of opinions, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but specifically about worship, you're probably a, um, I don't know, maybe a little bit more passionate about than most things because you're involved in that. Um, yeah. So, like, when we talk about worship, you know, how, you know, real quick, if you had a simple summary or an explanation of what true worship is, wh- how would you define that? So, worship, uh, just in general, um, as a general uh, working term, or working definition for worship, I always say worship is a response. It's a response to something that we value. And so, uh, but true Christian worship for me is, uh, is when we, when we respond to the, 
shoot, I was trying to remember what it was. Um, <laughs> it's all good. Is a response to seeing Jesus clearly for who he really is. Mm. So I think, um, so I think that could be anything. So we see when we see Jesus in the gospel, when he, um, uh, when he is giving the Sermon on the Mount and talks about, um, you know, either giving to the needy or fasting that we, we see that, um, or we see the, the gospel where Jesus is given his life that we, that, that causes something in us to have a response. Right. And, um, and I think one of the great things about God in the Bible is he tells us, this is how you can respond. You know, this is how your response is going to make me happy. And this is how it's, you know, this is what I approve of as a good and right response to what I'm doing. That makes this response makes me look glorious. And I think that, um, um, or even in sacrifice, you know, when we have to sacrifice something for worship, we give up something that we value for something of eternal value. You know what I mean? And, um, mm-hmm. So that's how I, uh, I see worship. I think that's – I try to give a definition that doesn't – that can't be dwindled down to music and a service, right? Mm-hmm. I, I want to have an all-encompassing definition of our whole lives when we worship with our uh, – with what we do and what we say and what um, – you know, how we spend our time and how we um, interact with others, that these right. things are – our responses to seeing Jesus clearly. And I think it's important. I was just talking about this earlier this evening about, um, if we don't see Jesus clearly, mm-hmm. then we don't worship a, the real Jesus. We worship the Jesus that we've created. Yeah. And, um, well, like the Israelites, um, that created the, the golden calf while Moses was on the, uh, uh, mountain of Sin- uh, Sinai. That's, yeah. that's what we're doing. You know, they, they were creating a golden calf uh, that represented God. You know, they were trying yeah. to worship the one true God, but they weren't because they were creating something that they wanted. Yeah, and, or it's like, well, what Matt Chandler says, he's like, if I tell my wife, you know, I don't know what I love most about you, if it's your uh, blue eyes or blonde hair, uh, he says, the only problem is my wife doesn't have blue eyes and blonde hair and she has brown <laughs> eyes uh, or green eyes and brown hair. Yeah. And, um, and so I think that's, that's important. Like right. we, we need to direct our affection, um, at, at, uh, the real Jesus at, uh, yeah. and not, um, and that's why I think the studying the attributes of God is so important. That's why I think that theology is so important. It's, it's not because, it's uh, it's fun and kind of nerdy, and you know, it's it's some knowledge that you get the other, you know, that you get to uh, talk to people about or argue with people about whatever you might think fun is. Uh, but I think that I think that's deeper. It's like theology matters, right? Because because um, we need to have a right view of Jesus. We need to have a right view of the gospel. We need to have. Uh, the right view of the main things that uh, make up Christianity, that what we, you know, the, the, the very close-handed issues mm-hmm. that we, um, that, that set us apart from every other religion. Like, we need to have 
a full grasp. And I, I remember R.C. Sproul said, you don't have a choice. You're a theologian. If you've ever had any thought about God, you're a theologian. The only choice you have is if you're going to be a good one or a bad one. And um, and so I think that's extremely true. And I don't want to be a bad one. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. I have the um, R.C. Sproul, um, who's, who's in heaven now, I, I assume <laughs> he's in heaven. But uh, he, uh, yeah. he wrote a great book called Everyone's a Theologian. It's kind of like a miniature systematic theology book. Um, so it's, it's really good. I recommend it. But yeah, I, I was actually going to say, sorry. Right, um, I was going to say that same exact thing too on, uh, you know, that's why theology is so important. Not because we want to debate about it or talk about it. I know if you're on Facebook, I typically post a lot about theology and I discuss, I like to discuss theology a lot with people, but I don't do that because I just enjoy talking about it. I enjoy doing it because I believe it's important to help others. I have a passion for helping others understand biblical theology because not only am I teaching the person what's biblical theology, I'm also myself working through what I believe about God and about what Scripture clearly states about who He is. You know, yeah. so like it's it's both. It goes both ways. I'm helping my. It's almost kind of selfish to an extent. I'm helping myself understand theology better. But, you know, I, I think it's important we, we put theology in its proper place. Not only do we need to have a proper understanding of God, who He is, obviously that has to connect to our heart uh, for sure. I mean, there's, uh, if you don't have a head knowledge, you don't have anything either. But you must have a head knowledge and heart knowledge of God. Um, well, well, theology informs our, our emotions, right? Yeah. So we don't... Uh, bring emotions to uh, to our theology. This this we hear truths about God that uh, wells up emotions in us, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, if we're if we're healthy spiritually, you know, if we have sometimes if we have um, we're having pride issues or things of like that, then um, theology really doesn't might not have that response, but. Um, but I think that it always uh, that there's always a uh, theology should learning theology and learning about who God is should always have us respond in worship. Right. If it's if it doesn't, then it's it's uh, just dead cold religion. You know, you just, there are plenty of uh, scholars, religious scholars, who uh, biblical scholars who study the Bible. They know all these things about God, but there's no love for God that is uh, welling out of them. There's just this dead, cold facts that's just boring to them. Yeah. Or, or it might be interesting in a sociological way, but it's not uh, what it meant. Like God revealed himself um, to us so that we can know him. Mm-hmm. And that knowing him uh causes us to worship yeah yeah two aspects of god that are important is god is transcendent he is above us he's completely separate from us in the in the you know um in the fact that we are not god we are not little gods uh like some people do believe but he's also imminent he's he's also close to us he's personal to us so he's both transcendent and imminent uh in relationship with us which some might say is a contradictory but it's really not 
um, if you if you think about the the turns, what they mean, and all that. But anyway, I, I think you know you're right. We have to have a proper understanding of God, but also we can't just know facts and know about God and know about the Bible, know about yeah. church history or systematic theology or whatever. We have to know God and our knowledge of who about some uh, the things that are about him that informs uh, how we know him, you know, because um, when people ask me like, does God, does, do the Muslims worship the same God as us? I say, no, I say, no, they do not because the God that they worship did not send Jesus Christ to die for the sins of his people. Um, so I, that's why I, I say that. And same thing with the Mormons. Uh, we we're talking about Mormonism earlier. Uh, Jehovah's witnesses, they, they, they serve a God that does not save. They serve yeah. uh, an idol. And I know that that might offend some people. And I, I, I don't mean to offend. That's not my intentions. But it's important to understand that there's a distinction there for sure. Um, and it's it's clearly – it causes a separation theologically that is very much – affect. Uh, it definitely affects the um, – uh, the gospel, you know, and so that's important. There, there are things that you believe. If you believe those things, you're not a Christian anymore. Or you don't believe some things. If you don't believe them, you're not a believer. You know, you're not a Christian. So, I mean, that's that's something that people, you know, don't understand. At time. I mean, if you don't believe Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, you can't. There, you can't be a Christian. If you don't believe He is fully God and fully man, then you can't be a Christian. You can't. You, and, you know, it's true, truly God, truly man. Yeah, yeah. What's that? Said so, truly God, truly man. Yeah, that's what RC would say. Truly, yeah. Uh, yeah <laughs> he's, um, you know, that's, I think we've you know we've had a lot of conversations about Bethel and all that, and um, I think that's why I, I'm so passionate about warning others about Bethel is because the fact that that Bill Johnson and Bethel their ministry operate under the theological assumption that Jesus was not fully man or not fully God. I'm sorry. He was fully man. He was, he, he lived as being fully man. Yeah. He says that in one of his books, you can, um, you can go get it. Uh, I forgot the name of it, but, um, um, it's, it's there. He, you know, I've, I've seen quotes of it. Uh, I've looked it up and it's, it's there. He, he definitely says that. Um, and you know, I think that's very important to understand that, you know, that's a very that's a very problematic issue, um, for sure. But of course. so when uh, talking about worship, like obviously, like would you say that like there are certain things that are you know appropriate and not appropriate for the corporate service? So when I say corporate service, I mean the Sunday morning gathering worship service. Would you say there there are certain things that are appropriate and not a- appropriate or? Um, so I think that, um, yeah, I think that God has made clear and throughout. Um, just I, I wouldn't, so I wouldn't say there. I wouldn't put it in terms of appropriate, and not appropriate. There are things that are worship and that's not worship. So, like God throughout the Bible has made clear, this is what I desire from you. This is the worship I desire. Um, this is how you are to do it. And, and um, we see it in the temple times when, um, I forgot whose sons it was, but. Um, Aaron. 
Yeah, Aaron's on lit a fire mm-hmm. that they were not they're not supposed to do that. And they got um I tell me they get struck down for that. Yeah. Pretty sure they did. Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah they got killed for it. And yeah. uh I don't think that's gonna happen to, to us if we do something wrong. But even in the New Testament it has uh, uh Paul gives restrictions that it should be orderly, that there should be um you know, um, if there are more people, if there are more than one person with a testimony, they should have, uh, they should go one after another. So it's not to create this kind of chaotic mess. But, um, so I do, I do think there's, there are specific things that define Christian worship. And then there are things outside that, that are, are alien to it. And, um, uh, I'm in, in, my preference and opinion is that I like more probably modern music. So I, I mean, I play electric guitar and I play keys and I, and, um, I really enjoy that. I also enjoy hymns. I think, um, I grew up on hymns and I find those phenomenally written, but, um, but we play contemporary worship music and we have, um, now we've gotten away from playing most anything from Hillsong and most, I don't think we play anything from Bethel or from Jesus culture, um, mainly because, uh, it's been, geez, uh, Bethel has pretty much been outed as kind of a, uh, if they're not a cult, they are. Uh, definitely preaching false gospels and preaching a false Jesus. And we don't want not only to support that, but we don't want to send mixed signals to our congregation. Also, I really like, um, I've been thinking about this a lot, but um, songs like Reckless or Reckless Love or (laughs) like, I have a hard time playing those if I uh, mainly because I, I I lead worship for youth mainly and I feel that I have a responsibility to lead them to clear direct truths instead of maybe you know you can um, maybe with adults you know there are some things where we can do theological gymnastics to where it'll work out. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think like, uh, when we're talking about, um, in a Hillsong song, one of the lines says, uh, you didn't want heaven without us. So you sent heaven down. And there's probably some theological gymnastic where that works and, um, that you can do, but, you don't want to have to force your congregation to do that. You want them to have solid truths that they can cling to, songs that they can sing when suffering comes, you know, right. and, and truths that they can cling to when they when they need to worship Jesus. They've got words and a melody that they can do that with, and that they don't have to wonder, uh, am I singing lies to God? Am I, you know, am I sinning while worshiping? And uh, I think that's a... Um, you know, some that might that might happen unknowingly for some song. You know, I was listening to Matt Matt Redman talk about this, and he's like, "That's a huge weight." And sometimes we're going to fail as songwriters, and uh, 
and we're going to write something unintentionally that's false. And, um, but, uh, and I think that's just part of being human. Right. And, and so, but I think that, you know, we don't have to, as the worship leaders, the ones who are, um, adopting these songs into our congregation, we can have a, a filter. You know, we don't have to sing every song that comes comes across Caleb just Amen because we want that. Man, I wish <laughs> people would understand that. Look, just because you hear it on the radio doesn't mean it has to be played in the corporate service. Yeah. Jeez. I'm sorry. I like this is so funny. It's like people assume, hey, <laughs> if Caleb played it, it's good for me. It's like Lauren Daigle. Like, I'm not talking about Lauren Daigle's comments on homosexuality. I'm not bringing that up, but <laughs> not. But look, her music and you know, her songs in particular. Yeah. I mean, we don't have to play those in Sunday yeah. morning service. Or, I mean, it's not something that is pertinent to our our church churches. You know, there are so many. There's so many more better resources out there than her. I'm. I mean, I'm not degrading her as a person. Um, she's a great talent. Whatever. Um, in some people's eyes, I mean, people. Some people love her music. That's fine. But you know, there's so many great worship bands that are putting out strong, non-confusing, uh, clear, straightforward theological, theologically deep songs. I mean, yeah. we can sit here and talk about them all day long. Well, now, now I will say, as a, since I've adopted this kind of idea to not just play anything, um, it is it is not as readily available. These great songs, like even um, the Gettys, uh, Getty Music. Have you heard of them? Oh yeah, dude. Love yeah. Them. Stuart Townsend, like they're phenomenal, but they're not—they're not producing as much music as the rest of the contemporary Christian yeah. world. So you've got this whole market flooded with some songs that are okay. I mainly try. I really, I really like Matt Redman a lot. I think he's some of his songs are just phenomenal. And um, but you got. Chris Tomlin, Stuart Townsend, the Gettys, and then um, Sovereign Grace. Yeah, music. A, uh, a City of Light. I don't know if you've heard of them. You, dude, they are good. They are. I've heard of them. I haven't checked them out. Dude, I'm telling you, they are. They're my favorite worship band. They're very, very good. Yeah. Because um, right now it's almost like you can um, you pick. Uh, you can't have favorite worship bands in the the main CCM area. You have to have like one or two songs from them that you like. Hold on one second. Gotcha. Well, Samuel has went to do something. I don't, I'm not quite sure, but uh, he will be back in just a second. Until then, though, I guess this is a good point uh, to um, maybe just uh, encourage everyone to. If you haven't done so already, go ahead, go ahead and listen to maybe some of the other podcasts that you have not listened to yet. Um, not right now, after this this episode is finished, of course. Um, the ones that I recommend the most, um, the New Apostolic Reformation one is awesome, in my opinion. That's my favorite one, um, just because it's so, I think it's, it's so... Um, uh, helpful in a lot of ways, but um, the regular principle of worship is good. 
Um, the one with Houston, Altridge, uh, is really good with the spoken word stuff. Um, I mean, there's just so many good ones. The ones with guests are the best. Okay, now, I understand if you want to listen to one with just me talking. Uh, actually, I don't understand that because I'm, I mean, I'm not as uh, exciting when it's just me. But any episode with a guest is good. So, anyway, go listen to those. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, go listen to those or rate the podcast, whatever. So back to our normally <laughs> regularly uh, scheduled um, podcast. Um, so yeah, um, yeah. Like I get what you're saying. Like the frustrations of like the you know finding songs that are readily available. But there's enough to where you can, you know, you can play th- maybe three. How many how many songs do y'all play at Cell Street? Per worship service. Oh, um, two and four or five. Four or five. Okay, say five. Y'all play three, three songs that people know, you know, three, maybe one or two hymns, one contemporary song that everyone knows, like a 10,000 reasons or whatever. That's one, like, I love that song. That's my, that's probably one of my favorite, like, popular songs. Yeah. Is that, that one. Um, and then like. You That's because Matt Redman, dude. I told you that dude's great. He is. He's, and it's a very good congregational song. It's very yeah. good. It's a it's a congregational congregation. When I say congregational, it, I just mean like the congregation can pick up on it. It's the notes are easy enough. I guess is the best way to say it. Maybe I don't know. Maybe yeah. it's not. But um, we don't need to be singing songs like you know. If you sing a Carrie Job song, you're going to be singing a song that's like. I mean, you know, it's really hard to to play uh, I have to some high notes right yeah. there. anyway but um you know there are you know people don't understand this but there are modern hymn books there are hymn books still being put together that have like the gettys uh sovereign grace a lot of their songs i mean yeah. there's just so many there's good hymn books out there it also have the old hymns it doesn't mean you have to play all of them you know but yeah. there, there are books full of great songs and if churches would just utilize those, man, I think we would see such a difference uh, in our worship, um, in my humble opinion. I mean, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm making that a bigger deal than it is. But I just I, – I, I think that that's where churches should strive towards. I know overnight you have to work, walk your church through that process, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, like – and one thing, though, I, I really liked what y'all did. It There was a D-Now uh, we did together uh, – Kent, us, and uh, I think it was Maple, yeah, Maplewood, a- Andrew Frazier and his church, uh, yeah. Houston River, and then Cell Street. Um, we all did a Dean out together, and y'all, y'all actually played a song that y'all wrote. That's great. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember that. I forgot what the song was called, but it was really good. Um, very, very good. Uh, there was no heresy in that. There was no reckless love of God. <laughs> Man. Yeah. Yeah, I... I love the, uh, um, I love the whole practice of, I would just change words, right? So if I really like the song, like the, the melody's great, I love the chords, I love the rhythms in it, I'll change the word, you know? And then they'll notice, like, why'd you change a word? And then we can have a discussion about why the word faithful is better than reckless, right? <laughs> and, uh. And so that, so I'll, you know, I played that song once or twice and I replace it with faithful. Every time I hear it and I want to sing it, like I'll, I'll replace the word with faithful and it sounds much better than 
reckless. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Or, you know, and I got that idea because uh, there's somebody who really wanted me to play above all, and I just, I won't do it. I won't, I'll play <laughs> what's, what's, wait, what's wrong with above all? I don't know this. Tell me. Well, it says, um, you know, crucified, um, laid, uh, shoot, laid behind a stone. You lived to die, rejected and alone, like a rose trampled on the ground. You took the fall and thought of me above all. Oh. <laughs> I thought you knew that. Anyway. I'm sorry, man. I did not know that. Dang it. Yeah. Oh so, my gosh! Come on. And so my, my, because you know I'm under the authority of other worship leaders, which they would never make me sing. They don't like. It. But at the time, I wasn't under the ones that I'm under now. And he's like, if they make you sing it or if they make you play it, like just sing your above all. That might make it better. So I said, you took the fall and thought of me. Your above all. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, well, that makes it a little better. That still doesn't make it a good song. But, um, man, so I, I really like to do that. I like to, you know, if there's, if someone really, if they really worshiped that song, they're not, you know, they're not considered all up into the whole theology stuff. So they don't really know. Right. But I know that'll, you know, it'll really bless them and they'll, uh, to sing this song, to, to have that in worship. And I, if it's if I don't have any other qualms with it other than this one section, like I will, I'll change the words and um, and uh, make it complete or you know or non heretical. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I don't you know there there's some songwriters who it might have just been an accident or they didn't realize that they were saying that and so. Um, and so it wasn't, you know, they're not trying to perpetuate heresy. They're just, they just made a mistake. And, sure. um, and then, um, you know, sometimes you don't realize that you made a mistake until it's super popular, you know, <laughs> and then you can't change it. Like yeah. Matt Raymond, one of his, one of his most famous songs is, um, uh, I can't remember what it was, but I guess it's his very first famous song. He's like, man, I wish I would have wrote this differently. You know, and um, I think it's standing. Jesus, Jesus, I am so in love with you. Oh yeah, and he's like, I really wish I would have written Jesus, I am so in all of you, because sometimes you know uh, there uh, the word love isn't you know as great. So anyway, so I just think that you know giving some of these songwriters a little bit of a break. And um, yeah. and realizing probably they're not trying to per- perpetuate heretical things or uh, the people who wrote Reckless. I heard their their comments. I disagree. I I think that Reckless we can't just define terms how we want. Words matter and all that stuff. And so yeah. So I think so. But I don't think they're trying to perpetuate that God is careless. You know, I think he's just um. Uh, trying to be I, cute. I think he's just trying to be cute. To be honest. Yeah, I think it just fits, and 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 they probably like well, you know, to us and to normal people, it looks reckless, and you know the the wisdom of God looks like foolishness to men, you know. And yeah. uh, but I think you know, uh, so they try to explain that. I think 
I think it's just a mistake. I don't think it's um. But anyway, so I don't. But I wouldn't do that in a congregation. I I would definitely say I went to together for the gospel and. Ooh. You know, um, and I was one of the lucky few. And uh, chosen. Got a, the chosen. The <laughs> chosen. But there's a. Uh, so I went there and like just everything there is congregational singing. And I think. Yeah. And it's just. Uh, can't remember his name, but he's with Sovereign Grace. He's over Sovereign Grace Music, and just listening to him play piano and singing, and you have ten thousand other people around you singing. It's just nothing more uh, beautiful there, than that. Yeah, there's and there's no place else that does that other than the church. And so, what if Passion did that one year? You know, that'd be awesome. You know. Yeah. I'm not like I'll be honest. I'm not a big fan of the Passion Conference anymore. Yeah. Like I used to be. Um, if they would just do that, man, oh, that would just be yeah. so awesome. I'd love that. I'd yeah. love to hear that. But and, and I and honestly, I like uh, I definitely like the loud instruments. I think they're. Uh, I think there's uh, really. I really liked it when I was not leading worship. I was in the congregation, and you can kind of, you know. The music is loud, so you're you're just by yourself. You know what I mean? And you kind of get this, you know. You can f- I focus when there's noise, right? So if I have something going on in the background, it helps me focus. If it's completely quiet, I'm distracted to the max. And uh, and so I really enjoyed that. But but I also think that um, I really. You know, we'll have times there in our songs where we'll just, we'll kill it. We'll fade out. We want to hear the whole congregation. We want the whole congregation to hear each other. We want people to know that we are a family and that we are, you know, we sing together. We do life together. And um, and it all kind of culminates in this realization because of our congregational singing, you know. Yeah. And, um, and that while, you know, there are some aspects of the Christian life where it's, you know, Jesus is individual. He's our, um, that, uh, we walk with Jesus as individuals, but not, not just that, but we have this other aspect where we are, you know, a part of a, a family, a part of a church. And I think maybe, um, because of that, the church has gotten a little individualistic instead of, yeah. uh, uh, f- more family, you yeah, know, or yeah. or more uh, congregational. I don't want to say communal, but uh, <laughs> more more congregational. And uh, and so I think that um, I think that's very important. I think that our work can reflect that as well. Yeah, and, uh, I agree with you. Yeah, um, I mean personally, like if I was planning a church or starting a church, I would I would definitely I would probably err on the side of caution. I would I would have instruments. I'd have a guitar, piano, a yeah. vocalist, obviously. I wouldn't have much more than that, though. Maybe light drums. Um, yeah. Maybe, I mean, a little bit. But, I, I, you know, to me, I'm like, I, the focus, to me, like, the focus should be on God. And, of course, uh, having a full band doesn't take away from that, for sure. But, yeah. like, you know, I want, you know, the congregation to be so involved that they feel like they're, it's just all one family worshiping God you know, and that's and one thing that I've noticed a lot of like when you do kind of cut out the the like the music and you kind of it, it's the music's quiet and it's just the congregation essentially. 
singing, people typically aren't comfortable to sing. You know, they don't like it. Um, they don't want to be heard. They don't want to hear themselves. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that this is a problem, The and it's not intentional. People are well-intended, but kids have not been taught how to sing corporately. Um, they have not been taught how to sing uh, to sing hymns properly. Um, you know, so like family worship, I think is important to do in each, in each family, you know, teach yeah. their kids scripture, uh, catechize their kids, and then also teach them how to sing, like sing with them, sing with your kids. You know, I think it's so important to do. Um, if that's not happening, unfortunately, I think there will become a time when they're going to grow up and become adults. They're not going to want to sing that much unless there's a, a band blaring in the sounds, uh, the speakers. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with having music, like a, a good bit of it, too. So I think music's beautiful. You know, it's wonderful. I mean, we see throughout Scripture, music is consistently, you know, played um, uh, to worship God. But, you know, I don't think it was meant to be a – to be something that is the focus. It's supposed to be an aid in my opinion, uh, aid in the worship of God, not to be the focus of the worship of God. Does that make sense? So, yeah, I agree. Uh, I think I agree to a point. I, just, I mean, I might be – there might be a misunderstanding, but um, but I think that when we so we're talking about musical worship, I think I think that worship is the focal point of the service, right? So uh, the whole that's why I like when we when people call it a worship service. So we will have so you've got musical worship, and then we have. Um, preaching worship, you know, and, and giving worship. And I think all those things, are, that's what uh, John Piper's book of um, expository, expository exaltation is yeah. about worship through preaching. And um, that's right. And so I think, so I just want to make that clarification that I do think that worship is the focal point when of our gatherings on, yeah. Sundays as Christians, right? Yeah. What I do think is that there is a overemphasis, maybe on music, right, and um, and a lack of emphasis on preaching, preaching, right, and preaching, and um, and so I think there's, um, and I agree with that. I think, I mean, just the amount of money that we pour into productions, or you know, things like that, that right. uh, for. For worship, I think some of that's just insane and out of control. Just how much money we spend on those things, and um, but but I do think that um, sometimes music is more accessible. Yeah, and, uh, and so that's why you know the church has historically they they teach through songs, and that's that's why the they teach through songs. We teach kids through songs. Um, and I think, you know, we, I remember growing up, we'd always have music in our children's church. And so, um, so we were taught singing, but I think 
what happens is, you know, people get insecure, they find out they can't sing good, and instead of, um, they think they're just cursed that way, and they're never going to be able to sing good, right? right? And what really can happen is that you, anybody can be taught to sing well, right? And, or to at least sing to where they're not, you know, um, a distraction, but, or, or just uh, doesn't sound great, but also I think that um, uh, it it's also a, a responsibility somewhat of, a, of the church to create an environment where people feel comfortable, like they're not going to be embarrassed or judged yeah. because of uh, a talent that they weren't born with, you know, or or some of that. And I know tons of people, I mean, my, uh, the best thing I love, my sister has cerebral palsy and she is a absolutely horrible singer. And, uh, I mean, just terrible. And, uh, but, um, I love, uh, sitting near her at church. Uh, we don't go to the same church but when she comes by. I love, uh, when we get together at our parents' church for, um, family, uh, like for the big holidays and stuff, we'll go, we'll all go to one church. And, um, I love sitting next to her cause I mean, just uh, just hearing my sister worship Jesus just reminds me that how lucky I am to have a family that loves Jesus and to have you know a um, you know uh, just just hearing that's just so great and so I think it's a it's the same thing you know it's not about we're not looking for American America's next top uh, next uh, sensation, or yeah, yeah, anything like that. Where um, I think when you know, if there are people who sing, it just makes me happy. If they're not good, that they still want to sing loudly and and um, and and sing to to Jesus. So even you know. They could be. They could let their embarrassment stop them. They could let that be a distraction to them. But instead, they've decided that I don't care. Like Jesus is worth more than you know me trying to save. Uh, you know, me trying not to be embarrassed. Right. You know, and um, I, I want to worship Jesus with my church family. Um, you know, even if it means looking dumb or sounding yeah. terrible or I've definitely done a lot of those things but you know yeah and um, we all have <laughs> yeah so I think that um, um I think that can be a stumbling block for people's worship and, and uh, we need to come around them and show them that that's that's okay you know yeah okay. yeah not to say that you I mean you have to be a, a wonderful singer to sing loudly it's just you know, getting them comfortable yeah. to do it, you know, to teach them as they're, when they're kids and stuff like that. But, um, so, um, we're going to have to wrap up because I, I got to have a quiz I got to take tonight. Um, I got to read for the quiz. So I have like 60 something pages to read. Plus I got to take the quiz by midnight. So we're going to have to wrap up here, but I want to thank Samuel for coming on tonight. It was fun. He's actually going to be back here in a few weeks with another friend of ours, um, Justin Martindale. So he'll be on. So it'll be Samuel and Justin, and, and we'll be discussing probably some of the sim- same things, but we'll probably get into a lot more. Like um, I know he's really passionate about like 
you know, social media um, stuff. Like, uh, he he was telling me, um, like, uh, sound, like, sound, um, using sound uh, equipment and, and all those different things, media, I guess, to glorify God and all that. He's been, he was telling me about, about doing that, talking about those things. So we'll probably talk about that and other things along with it. Maybe something will happen in Christendom uh, or, you know, American Christianity where it'll be something fun to talk about. <laughs> You know, uh, like Francis Chan. I want maybe we could talk about Francis Chan. Talk about his doings. Please, please let's talk about Francis Chan. <laughs> Old Francis. Uh, yeah, I'm not gonna give my opinion now because I, I want to. Uh, I want to. Uh, and if you're on social media, follow me there. You probably know my opinion. <laughs> but yeah, we'll uh, say that for another time. So, but anyway, thank you, Samuel, and. Um, Thank you, everyone else, for listening. Samuel, got anything else before we close close up? Um, go Jesus. <laughs> Works for me. All right. Well, God bless everyone. Have a great night.